This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Hey everyone, it's Jason Highland at the Sub 70 Podcast. Uh, the guest that we have for this episode is JJ Colleen. Uh, he was the 2011 Player of the Year on the Web.com Tour. Uh, had a really good amateur career, played on the PGA Tour, and then uh, injuries caught up, and he switched gears and has uh, gone to the business side of golf, which is a really interesting conversation as well of what he's doing with his new project. So really want to thank JJ for his time. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I hope you guys like it as well. Thanks for listening. Give us any reviews of uh, the podcast on the platforms that you listen to it on. I greatly appreciate it. Enjoy the conversation. Well, I would like to welcome two-time Web.com Tour winner and the 2011 Web.com Player of the Year, J.J. Clean to the Sub-70 Podcast. J.J., thanks for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be on. Well, before we get into your playing career and what you're doing business-wise at this juncture, um, your, go- you know, your golf, spring's kind of here, um, you know, probably in Texas as well as the Midwest, everyone's starting to play a little bit. Do you, do you still get excited to play golf, even though you're not, you know, playing uh, professional tournament golf anymore or traveling and doing it or whatnot? Do you still get that buzz in the spring when it's time to kind of get the season rolling? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Kind of when the weather starts turning warm. It's just in, you know, my DNA and most golfers to want to get on the golf course and play. So obviously I still enjoy uh, going out as much as I can, um, hopefully competing in, in some stuff maybe this year. But for the most part, um, you know, it's just a different process. It's just way more casual now. <laughs> Pretty stress-free environment most of the time I go out. Yeah, and it's still enjoyable. Did you kind of have to realize, hey, you're not putting in the effort that you once did and the play is obviously not going to be as good as it once was because you're not putting the effort in and still try to just enjoy the game for what you kind of put into it at this point? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I kind of enjoy it regardless. I'm actually going on a lot more, you know, golf trips uh, with buddies or whatever, just, you know, enjoying, enjoying traveling around, playing different courses sometimes, uh, you know, more of in a, in a uh, stress-free environment, right? You're not playing for your livelihood every week, but yeah, 100%, I enjoy it. I still love it. What uh, what course are you a member at in Lubbock, Texas, or what do you normally play out of, and, and how good is the golf in the area that you live in? Yeah, so we have, you know, uh, Lubbock is a, it's a college town, but there's about 300,000 and change people. So it's a decent size uh, city, kind of with the little surrounding areas. And then, you know, Texas Tech University, 35 to 40,000 uh, with grad students. So it's a, it's a large school. So they have their own course called the, called the Rawls course which I believe is a Tom Doak design, you know, so really, really solid track. So I go out there quite a bit. Um, Love it. Country club's pretty good. Kind of an older, the old school club in town. And then a couple other ones um, on the South side of town I play. So we got a, we got a decent mix of golf and uh, big time, uh, you know, golf community sports community out here. So a lot of, a lot of fun games to play. And then obviously whether it's the tech kids or whatever, they're a really competitive uh, college team to, you know, play with some of those kids sometimes. I think they're ranked top 10 or something. So there, there's a lot of golf going on. We're still in the, the uh, we haven't had the best of uh, early spring uh, winters, if you want to call it. So everything is kind of Bermuda with bent greens here, but the Bermuda is definitely dormant. So looking forward to some warmer temps here to help it out. 
how impressed are you with the way the college kids play this, you know, these days with the distance off the tee and the aggressive style? Has it, has it changed quite a bit since you were playing at TCU? Can you see what the equipment is sort of brought to these kids and how they're doing it? Yeah, I mean, they hit it, you know, kids just hit it far now. And, I mean, you're when you're looking at, at numbers, I mean, you're looking at 175 ball speed kind of at, at an average for a lot of these kids. And 175, like, you know, rarely – the top maybe three guys in college when I played uh, hit it that far. So that's a pretty rare, rare feat. And now it's kind of the norm. So it's, it's a little bit of a different game, but you know, the, the playing field is definitely level. And I, I think on the PGA tour, it's, it's beneficial because you're seeing guys in their upper forties that still can bomb it um, that are, that are highly competitive. Yeah. It's uh it's, it's even since you kind of played college, what would be what 15 years ago or so, how it, it's, you can just see how those kids grew up with that equipment that didn't spin as much or allowed you to have a more aggressive hit through the ball. Now you're starting to see these young guys coming out and, I, I was lucky enough last year I got to go play, uh, watch a college golf tournament and play sort of, it's like a pro-am scenario, but watch these kids up close and got to play with an All-American from UCF, uh, Kyler Tate, and it was just ridiculous how long he was and how good these players really are at a young age. So that's cool. You still get to, you know, yeah. play, play with those kids and then yet put your wisdom out there. I'm sure they like picking your brain in the sense that you did play at the highest level and I'm sure they gained something out of it as well. It has to be kind of fun to do the mentoring with them a little bit as well, I would have to imagine. Yeah, for sure. Like when I was in college, the big deal was um, the Pro V1 came out, I think my freshman year. So like if you didn't hit a Pro V1 and seam it, you know, you're costing yourself like 15 yards or whatever. Um, and that was a massive deal. It didn't really, the, the drivers were all, you know, pretty, pretty equal playing field there. But that, that ball kind of changed it. People started hitting it farther. You know, they hit the, if they're in a title, it was like the prestige or professional. And that thing goes 50 yards shorter than, than probably a lot of the balls that we're hitting today. So that's a, that's a massive deal, but yeah, that's, it's just kind of funny how things have changed. And now it's all like training specific. I mean, these kids really know kind of what, if they're working out, what component to really work on to gain distance and consistency, all this sort of deal. I mean, we were like, I was right on the edge of like, you know, kind of old school where you dig it out of the dirt and then kind of training specific stuff hadn't quite evolved to the way it is today. Yeah, it's, yeah, you were, yeah, your age is right on, and I'm 46, so I'm well past it, right? I mean, we, you know, totally different. You were kind of on the edge of it. Now, you know, say the guys, you know, what, at least 30 or under all kind of grew up with the technology and whatnot. So it's, it's a different ball game. That's for sure. It's interesting. Yeah. Your business uh, side of things, after you, you know you were done playing professionally, you kind of uh, got in the business side of golf, and you started in Lubbock, Texas, uh, yeah. for a golf center. So how how did that project come about? You know, what makes it unique? How long have you been involved in it, and what sort of the game plan, or you know, how do you see the future going with uh, uh, for golf, and and how much have you enjoyed being on the business side of things versus playing? Yeah. So, it's, you know, it's absolutely different. So I, uh, I graduated college in 2005 and I turned pro kind of out of college. And I think maybe I played mini tours for, for just under two years. And then I got on the web.com tour in like 2007. And I actually still have status on that tour from like whenever. So I, I, I played on the web.com from 2007, you know, made it to the PGA tour, 2000, uh, played 2012, and then kind of back on web and 
you know, all you were doing and your main focus was just professional golf, right? I mean, especially at the web.com tour, you're just trying to make it to the PGA tour. So a lot of business things don't even enter your mind because you're playing, practicing all day, whatever, to try to get it on that level. So my experience was absolute minimal. And in like 2014 and 15, I had a couple pretty major surgeries, um, like a rotator cuff and then some other deal where I had a bone on bone situation and had to have surgery on my left shoulder. What's the left and right. And the, uh, it just, it, it beat me up and sidelined me for, for, you know, about six months, each of the years, 14 and 15. So that's when I seriously started looking into, uh, other, other avenues and, you know, everybody once kind of knew about top golf and it was growing at this point, um, you know, four years ago. And, you know, so obviously the logical thing is you call them and say, Hey, we, you know, will you come to Lubbock? Do you franchise, do you license all the business things that you would ask if you want to bring a business to town and, you know, no, obviously. And, and, uh, so we were like, let's start our own deal. So <laughs> it was about the messiest operation imaginable for somebody that, that doesn't have any sort of business experience. But I was fortunate enough to surround myself with some partners here, uh, that were, you know, general contractor experts, real estate experts, um, food and beverage experts. And, um, you know, we, we, we ended up partnering up, um, for a technology component. Um, and we used, uh, we found a technology partner and we were able to incorporate that. And all of a sudden we ended up with the business and everybody kind of worked hard to, to get it done. And we, uh, opened in August of 17. So we're going on, uh, just over a year and a half now. And it's been an exciting endeavor. Um, I've done everything here from GM to kind of director of golf. So I've learned, uh, I've learned, you know, just I've been thrown in the trenches just regarding budgets and everything else. And, and I love it. I'm really, really enjoying the challenge and learning all these new things. And, you know, I don't know what the future holds as far as uh, us moving forward. However, you know, we're looking forward to just, you know, absolutely doing the best we can out here and kind of seeing what happens. Um, I think it's been great for the community. We brought a lot of people to golf that didn't have it before. Uh, you know, our technology is centered around, uh, we use flight scope for the hardware and it's called big shot software, uh, kind of reads the game. So, you know, we can use flight scope for, for all of the, uh, the shot tracking and things like that. So you can play golf courses, a couple other cool things, um, that are different than, than other technologies. So, it's, it's been fun. It's been a learning experience for sure, but um, I'm really happy kind of with, with the team we've built and, you know, the relationships I've met with a lot of people on, on the other side of the industry specifically, not just the plane side. And it's been, it's been really cool. What makes it a little bit, you know, everyone's heard of Top Golf. In, in, in your opinion, what's the one or two things that makes for golf or what you're doing a little bit different? And then as a part two, did did you think a mid-sized market like Lubbock that might get overlooked by some of these other larger franchises made the most sense? I mean, obviously you have a hometown, you know, connection there or whatnot. But do you think it could be something brought to other mid-sized markets, you know, like a Sioux Falls, South Dakota, or something that has two or three hundred thousand people around it that that make it uh, overlooked? Yet it could be a great opportunity for you guys in the future to sort of plant your flag with those sort of scenarios or city sizes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all about, it's all about, you know, just understanding the business in general and that golf is a, is a huge component to it, but, but there's also a, a massive food and beverage and events business. And, you know, assuming that the corporate business is there, you know, the out of town visitors are there um, and you're building it at the right cost, it, it can make sense anywhere. Um, but, 
you know, specifically where the mid markets really need to kind of pick up slack is, 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 you know, getting repeat customers where, you know, if you have a golf entertainment facility in a major market, you don't need as many repeat visits. You got way more corporate business, things like that. But at the same time, your real estate's way more expensive. You're building, you're building a building and in the size of it, you know, logistically, all the other things that go into it are a lot more expensive. So, you can always, you can always make it work. And, and, you know, we're, we're kind of the guinea pig for this whole thing. So we figured out, um, you know, a lot of different strategies that we didn't know early, early on, um, that we know now to, to kind of help us, um, help us run as efficiently as possible. Um, it, everything from like, you know, we we're way overstaffed at the beginning cause you didn't know what to prepare for. And now we, we just start we know how to staff for every event, day of the year, whether there's a game, you know, Super Bowl, Masters, like any major Texas Tech event. The basketball team here is really good, and it's a major draw for people to come watch. And, and uh, there's just – there's so many things that go into it other than golf um, to, to make it successful. So, I mean, long story short, just understanding the market uh, for, for places like Sioux Falls or, or other places you mentioned and, and understanding how to capitalize on specific – uh, kind of days and events that they have going on. The other thing you're you're hearing about now is the states being able to legalize sports gambling, and where is Texas in on that? And is that something that really could make the restaurant, sports bar, food aspect of what you're doing? You know, kind of do you have to factor that in if it does become legal in Texas of of how you're going to incorporate that portion into it? Because I imagine you know it would be nothing more fun to put a little money on a game while you're sitting at your facility having a beer and some wings, right? So that kind of goes hand yeah. in hand. How's how's that factoring in potentially? And then where's Texas at on that from this from the sports gambling standpoint? Yeah, I mean, so as, as soon as we'd be able to do that, I'd be the first person in line to try to get a, a license. You know, um, Texas is a great state. They do a lot of a lot of great things here. You know, as far as as far as things that are like that, they're usually one of the last ones to, to implement it. If it's, if it's not a, you know, if it's, if it's based on the state, whether it's legalization of X or Y, depending on what it is, um, it's, I think they'll, I think they'll probably be one of the last states to, to uh, capitalize on that opportunity. However, um, you know, there's people still need to go to a sports bar and watch the game and all that, but that sports book component is, is massive. And, and, I know that, you know, quite a few other states are starting to slowly kind of put it in play, whether it's, uh, you know, in, in Texas, we don't even have casinos, period. So Shreveport, uh, southern Oklahoma, they've got big casinos. I live in West Texas, so eastern New Mexico, they have a bunch. So, um, you know, the big deal is the sports component, but, you know, we, we don't even have the kind of regular you know, regular casinos with slots or blackjack or whatever it is. So I imagine we're quite a few years away. Um, from making that happen but when it does man let me i'll i'll be the first one to sign up and and kind of redo everything to get ready for it yeah i mean like to me with the whole golf thing i mean if you could have that in that facility that would be so much fun to you know maybe go practice on your game and then you know put a few bucks on a game and have a beer after i mean it would be perfect so i could see that was my question of eventually if they do legalize it would be such a great addition you know to what you guys are doing down there it'd be an interesting scenario to see how that plays out but yeah, I mean, right? I, that's that'd be a perfect Saturday afternoon for man. me. Yeah, um, to put your... I love going to Vegas. So anytime I can get a chance, we got a direct from Lubbock to Vegas. You know, which is one of the few major cities we can go into direct. So I mean, I love that atmosphere and tying the golf component to it. It'd be great. Yeah, right. And like, just and you don't have to put like you know, I don't think most people are putting crazy amount of money that you're a degenerate gambler. I mean, it's fun to put 
you know, 10, 15 bucks on a game just for the next three hours just to watch it a little, you know, with more excitement to it, right? And you win one, you lose one. It's not, you know, I think there's a lot of people who will do it casually and enjoy it um, more than, you know, I think where the it turns into a problem at, at least, right? I mean, if, if someone had a problem, they were already doing it probably illegally anyway. So I think it's great to bring it, exactly. you know, out to the, the public, make it more fun, you know, while you're sitting there enjoying a game. So I think it's going to be great when it kind of gets implemented everywhere. It's going to be so much fun to... Like you say, you don't have to go to Vegas to do that. You could go to your, you know, your local place in Lubbock and enjoy an afternoon. I think it'd be a blast. Yeah, awesome. That'd be great. Teaching. Um, I know you did some teaching as well a little bit. Are you still doing that? And then is there certain types of players, if you still have the time to teach, that you're kind of working with? Is it the beginning golfers, better golfers? And um, how has that process sort of gone for you, kind of putting a different hat on and sort of, you know, passing that knowledge base down? Yeah, so when we opened up in uh, August of 17, my intent was to kind of director of golf, you know, throughout the facility, but also what makes us different than, uh, you know, than a top golf. We actually have like a teaching academy that's attached. It's like 2,500 square foot, awesome technology. You can hit out onto the range. So it's a, it's a, it's a different feel. It's got a little chipping green to the side. And, um, you know, we, we thought that it's just a cool addition. It would bring crossover traffic to the facility and Lubbock didn't really have a, a good instruction place um, at all indoor teaching place. So um, where you can hit out. So this was the, this was the first one. So I implemented a lot of programs and instruction and, and I'm lucky here. I, you know, there's a kid named Wade Fullingham that, that uh, teaches here and he's kind of our director of instruction. So we get a massive amount of juniors from communities within a hundred miles that come in and I still have a hand in it. Definitely. Um, I don't do it as much as I did when we opened, but I enjoy now kind of implementing the programs and, um, you know, I taught everything from anybody that was a beginner, you know, it didn't matter their skill level. We did it. Now I'm a little more specific on, um, high school, um, high school kids, things like that. One of our kids, uh, Brian Bowles just won the Texas cup. It's about the biggest junior tournament here. And he got a scholarship to Texas tech. He's playing there, uh, I think in 20. He starts in a couple of years. Um, I think he's a junior this year. So there's a lot of exciting players here um, that, that are good. Uh, another kid named Jackson Drake that won state a couple of years ago. So Lubbock, Lubbock's got a bunch of good golfers, um, Lubbock Amarillo Midland. And, and it's exciting to, to just kind of teach those guys. And, you know, I enjoy going out on the course with them probably um, a little bit more um, just because, I can see where they can kind of save shots, right? There's only so much you can do in a teaching bay. So, you know, game development, course management, just sometimes kids won't even, you know, and, and myself included, when you're hitting the shot and someone's observing you on a course, there's, there's, pro- there's always a different way to look at it. Maybe, maybe you just need a fresh set of eyes or your way is not the best way, but, you know, one, two shots around, something like that for a kid really trying to play in college and hopefully turn pro, that's a massive deal. It's interesting you said that because my follow-up to this was going to be, as you started teaching more, did you kind of learn anything about your game or rethink potentially how you might look at a situation because you're on the other side of that coin sort of observing it? And did you put in, implement or do anything in your own game sort of from those experiences of, of, of being a teacher? Yeah, I mean, it's I uh, just kind of when you're on the instruction side a little more often, you start like looking at swings, analyzing them, what's more efficient, things like that. But that, that's an exciting deal because, you know, you can, you can, uh, you can just say, Hey, this is the most efficient way to, 
you know, to hit a golf ball, I'm kind of built like this guy. I never, I never knew that, you know, just listening to different instructors, I never thought of it this way or whatever. So I kind of learned a lot about my swing and the way that I swung in, in perhaps ways that were more efficient, more powerful. Um, you know, when you're not playing for a living, um, you can just experiment try different things out and see what, see what's the best for you. And, uh, you know, I ended up, uh, I ended up doing that all the time. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's shocking when you start teaching how many, how many good players like have similar issues, right? You just assume it's one thing or another, but, um, that's just something that you really notice is, you know, some guy might, whether it's, you know, hip rotation, shoulder turn, club face, all these other things, they'll have one little fault and, and it fixes like four or five other ones and, and just helps them be more efficient. So it's fun to look at it that way. Let's talk about your playing career. Uh, you went to TCU and who were some of the rivals that you played against in college? And are any of those guys still on the PGA tour today? And it, I'm assuming that had to be so much fun going to, to college at TCU and that whole experience had to be absolutely fantastic, I would assume. Yeah, it was awesome. So I grew up, I went to high school in San Diego in California and I moved to Lubbock when I was like a junior. So the high school golf in Texas is, is 10 times better than California as far as the tournaments and competitions that they have, right? Obviously a ton of great players in SoCal, California in general, but the high school golf is garbage as far as the way that it's, it's run. It's nine whole matches. Like I moved to Texas and we're like traveling, playing 36 whole matches over two days, all these other things. And it's really cool to uh, the difference. Anyway, I got, got here in our state. I think uh, I won our state championship our, our senior year. Uh, Hunter Mahan won it our junior year. And then right before I got here, Martin Flores won it. So we were all in the same district together too. So me and Martin and, and Hunter. So our, di- just our high school district had, had us in it. And then, and then obviously we went on to play state, but as far as college is concerned, I mean, the guy that, that won everything when I was in college, um, my freshman year, Graham McDowell, TCU was in the conference conference USA and Graham McDowell went to UAB and they, he, I think you, I don't even know how many times he won, man, like 17 times in two years or something. But obviously he uh, went on to bigger and better things there. Um, Bill Haas was at Wake Forest. Uh, the other guy that won a ton is an amateur. Uh, that's about my age is Ryan Moore. I think he might have had the best amateur summer, you know, other than Bobby Jones. Yeah, ever. it's like him and Colt Nost, right? The Those two summers yeah. those guys had for USGA events were insane. Uh, yeah. I for mean, sure. So I'm a little older than Colt, but we were like kind of rivals because, you know, he went to SMU, went to TCU and, and uh, Colt likes to pop off to everybody. Everybody knows that. And it's, it's fun. So we, we used to have a couple little fun matches all the time. And Colt had a phenomenal, I mean, he's, you know, great PGA tour player, but phenomenal amateur career too. And, and uh, just off the top of my head, those are kind of the, the really top guys I can think of. And I mean, Ryan Moore specifically, he won, he won like everything. Um, Oklahoma state was still always good. I think Alex Norman was like their five guy about my age, a couple years. And, and, you know, he's, he was like 11th in the world or whatever. So obviously their team was just stacked. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Like, just like I said, for your high school district to have three guys who, you know, play the tour. I mean, that's, Talk about some good competition at a young age. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, uh, for the, for all you guys to make it out to that level, it's pretty crazy. Um, you decide to turn pro, and there was the uh, the life on the mini tour. So everyone's got great stories of of chasing it on the mini tour. I know you won on the tight lies tours. Is you know, looking back, is there some great stories or funny stuff that 
kind of happen? Because it's usually when I talk to the guys, it's four guys in a hotel room. Everyone is broke. It's but they all kind of look back at the back at it with sort of fond memories of, of sort of grinding it up, if that makes sense. So you know, how was that mini tour scene, and and how was that process of turning pro and and, and kind of starting that journey? Yeah, so I kind of did a different angle than everybody else. I mean, obviously, I went to Q school and didn't make it through kind of right out of college. But, you know, people people would do like a million Monday qualifiers. And I, I just wouldn't do that. I really tried to raise a little bit of money when I started, but not enough to do co-chase the nationwide or, you know, it was a nationwide tour back then. Um, tour, I mean, that's just it, it was crazy expensive. So I tried to play as many tournaments as I could just for competition and, you know, it, it was fun. You'd always have a roommate for sure. You didn't have your own room on the mini tours, but like you're just used to it. And then, you know, you have somebody to go to dinner with, play practice rounds, all this. If someone had a random caddy or friend or whatever cousin that wanted a caddy, they were always there on a, on a roll away or whatever. And, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was, it was fun. And then I just loved to play and compete. So you're trying to win tournaments and, and, uh, anyway, I, I miss Q school. And then the next year, I, uh, I'm trying to think I missed Q school twice. So, so I was right out of college. So the third time that I went was since I went right out of school. So the third time I went in 2007, um, I shot, a. I, I think I was one out of the number on first stage and I shot a 40 on my front nine. So pretty much mail it in, but then I shot a 30 on the back. So I shot 40, 30, and I made it like last man in to second stage. And then I finished fourth. And then I think I missed my tour card at finals by like a shot or two and then I got on web so I mean it's funny how how everything is based on on the way that Q school was kind of built in and one back nine changed it for me and ever since then I had status on tour and kind of never never lost it and still have some web.com status but I mean it, it's crazy I, lo- I love the way Q school was I wish it was still the same way it just gives guys a chance to get their tour card um you know with one one uh hot you know three stages or whatever it is and and now it's just kind of a, you know, a longer process, but you know, they're still developing players. Um, and it's just, you know, there's a lot of pressure there. You're playing for your livelihood and it all comes down to, you know, one round or one shot or whatever, um, for you to have a legitimate job for the next year. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I think, you know, and I understand why they're doing it because so many of the guys would get hot for, you know, a period then not play well throughout the whole year, but like, you're not going to see the rich beam stories anymore of somebody who's a assistant golf pro who gets his tour card and then wins that year, right? Like it's not going to happen with the way they have it set up. I would hope eventually they'd maybe have like five spots open or something that you can go from stage one in the same year, all the way to the PGA tour. I think it would be a cool way of letting some of those guys who really play well, get rewarded or go to the highest level and see how they do for that season. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's no reason to not do it, honestly. I mean, even a few, whatever, 10, 5, I, I don't even think any of the players would argue at all because, I mean, when you think about it, the way it is now, you can go tied for fifth in those web finals, miscut, miscut, miscut. I mean, so are you telling me that that guy played the best for the four weeks? Like, hell no, you know, <laughs> but he got his card. So, I mean, that's the system now, but what what is different as a flash in the pan scenario to that than, than the way it was before. So, you know, they're like, guys have to be more consistent. It's not, it's not really true. And I get, I get why they're doing it now, but yeah, throw, throw a few cards in there just for some crazy excitement. I agree. Yeah. And you see so many of the tour players who, you know, are go back to the web finals and, and 
they're you know they're seasoned professionals and they'll finish you know t3 the first week and they're just they're not even playing in the next couple events they're, they got their card wrapped up so yeah i think it'd be interesting to have it you know sort of have a little of excitement of having like the cinderella story for lack of a better word kind of make it all the way you know to the tour i think it'd be a great thing for golf to actually follow those guys and see how they do um back to the mini tour stuff was there did you guys do a lot of like Tuesday, Wednesday gambling to keep your game sharp, and like you always hear these stories of like Steve Marino was a legend on the on the mini tours. And did, did you play with a lot of those guys who liked to have action on it to keep you guys sharp, or did you use those days earlier in the week? And this could be for the web or you know mini tours as well. Did did you just practice earlier in the week to be ready for Thursday, or did you like a competitive game to stay sharp? Yeah, I mean, I you know we just practiced, but I always like we gambled on the golf course every single time. I mean, regardless of the tour, I mean, it just, it just makes you concentrate a little bit more um, just to get, to get ready. I mean, you want to hit a shot that actually, that actually matters. Um, You know, the driving range after the round, that's, that's when you want to work on some technical things, but you know, on the course, it's just, it's just fun to, uh, to try to feel that pressure at all times and be able to execute a shot, um, whatever it is. Um, I think that's the, that's the coolest part about it. So it didn't matter the tour. I mean, we could have, it could have been when I was just starting out, you know, it was tight lies tour. When I was just first starting out, we'd play something or, you know, on the PGA tour. So, I mean, guys are always trying to stay competitive and uh, I think it's, I think it's the way to do it. You know, on tour guys have a normal Tuesday group, you know, a lot of times as a rookie, you just kind of show up to the tee and you're paired with whoever, but um, you always try to play a little something just for fun. 2011, hell of a season on the web.com, two wins, player of the year. What worked? Then, kind of looking back, what did you do to have such a consistent season to get those two wins and, and kind of get yourself to the PGA Tour? What all came together to have that kind of a season? Yeah, so I I played okay, like in, I think, eight, nine, and 10 on the web. I think I finished top 50 or something on the money list every year. So kept my card and played solid, but. I uh, I was I was just playing the same, not getting better. My irons were bad. My short game was always good. My I could hit it far, but you know not really straight. And I was kind of doing the same every year. So I uh, I started seeing a guy named Chris O'Connell, and I don't know if you know him, but he he teaches uh, like he teaches a bunch of people. But but his most famous client is probably Matt Kuchar. Really turned his career around, and I was like, I just want to be a more efficient striker. And I switched to him at the end of 2010, like at Q School, and I missed my card by like a shot, and then went to web and I think, I mean, I think I made like 22 out of 24 cuts and like seven top fives, couple wins and just was solid. Um, putted the same that I always had, but a lot more greens and regulation, um, just way more efficient, different way to look at the golf swing. And, and that kind of really put me in a good spot there. And then a couple of years later, just unfortunately, unfortunately, I just kind of got hurt doing things that I should have been doing my whole career stretching or whatever it was. I always just, was never injured. So I wouldn't really take the precautions for all those things. And, and, uh, but man, he really turned my ball striking, um, and things like that around and just gave me kind of a fresh perspective on how to look at the golf swing in general to improve. So what'd you guys work on specifically? Cause you know, Matt Kuchar's golf swing to me looks much simpler than his swing. He came, you know, out of Georgia tech with, there's just looks like there was le- you know, way less moving parts an hour. And obviously it's, proven that in the sense that he wins about you know three to five million dollars every year like a like a annuity yeah. for himself did, did chris work on the same thing with you in the sense of how do we get it to where week in and week out it's predictable and simple and you know where the ball's going to go was it sort of making it less athletic at some level like you hear cooch talk about yeah 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the the most efficient muscles in the in the body are are the biggest, least athletic moving ones, right? Like anytime you're moving your your anytime you're moving these fast mus- muscles in in your hands or whatever, and relying on timing, it's just not a good way to hit it. So, um, you know, specifically for for Cooch, he was he was kind of a he was a he was a flip flippy guy kind of with his hands, right? He'd stand up a little bit coming into it. He wouldn't get the shaft back on the shaft plane at impact. So I think the biggest deal, you see him do like that over the top looking yeah. uh, practice swing, right? All he's trying to do there is, is return the shaft to where it starts, right? Get on the shaft plane. So he would get underneath and his hands would get high at impact, which means you're about to flip it. So they just tried to create this, this swing. And, you know, he is a one plane guy. There's a bunch of guys, the best guys on tour, uh, efficiency wise, return the shaft plane right there. And some of them are flat going back. Some of them are upright and then get shallow, but all he's trying to do is return that shaft plane to where it starts. And, you know, he's got unbelievable hand eye coordination. Like he's a, he's like the best ping pong player, like whatever, probably go to the Olympics or something, but like he can really feel certain angles and things. Right. And man, it's the rest is history. He's always been a great putter and game manager. And, and I mean, he's the, He's he's Jim Furyk 2.0 basically. Yeah, and he also went from playing a hook to or a draw to that little baby fade, and that seemed to have served him well too from a simple standpoint. That probably there's no more fear of God of the thing going left, so he can swing hard at it and let it just fall to the right versus trying to time it up the other direction. So at a professional level, you can see why you know with the athleticism he has or had or has how that golf swing for him makes sense. And like I said, the the proofs in the pudding of. You know, he'll be 55 years old and the PGA Tour is still playing well with that golf swing. It just works. So, yeah, it's interesting you guys work with the same teacher and kind of the same concept of simplifying it down and, and you know, making it better day in, day out. So he's a well-renowned teacher and obviously the proof's in the pudding. Um, get to the PGA Tour in 2012. What's that experience like of just making it to that level, like a hell of an accomplishment? You're playing against the best in the world. And once you got out there, besides like the purse size and whatnot, what was the biggest difference you saw between the competition on the web and the PGA Tour? And, you know, what was your sort of takeaway between between both of those? Yeah, I mean, you know, the main difference is when you get on the PGA Tour, you're playing you're playing in tournaments, especially as a rookie, where guys have played those cor- those those courses literally hundreds of times, right? If they're a veteran, and even if it's like their fifth and sixth year, you don't get a ton of web.com guys well you get a lot but you don't get as many as the pga tour that have played a tournament like 10 times you know what i mean they just they've experienced it in every condition uh surface whatever wind direction whatever it is they they know what to expect right you still see a bunch of guys coming out and winning tournaments because if you're hitting a good or putting a good anything can happen but really course knowledge and and under par really means something on, on, on the PGA tour. Um, you know, the web.com, you play courses that are shorter. Uh, it's really hot in a lot of these places in the summer. It, it, it'll rain though with thunderstorms. So your the ball goes so far, soft conditions. And you just, you know, you're just absolutely firing at every flag for the most part, because, because you just don't have to worry about firm and fast conditions. So, you know, the way the PGA tour is set up is, is firm and fast. You know, mid irons are huge. Being pin pin high is massive. Um, you know, you just look at the greens and regulation percentage, and then go ahead and you know look at the money list for me and let me know how that shakes out. Because on tour, they kind of know that it's really important to to not make you know bogeys and doubles and, and just kind of 
really make make a few birdies, eagles, kind of capitalize where you can where you can. And you'll see a lot of like even par one undercuts on the PJ Tour and the web.com five, six, seven under all summer long. So that's obviously a different different deal. The 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 best players in the world, the top, top guys on tour are are obviously the best, but the best players on the web are, are still top, you know, forty players on the PGA tour. So there's not like, you know, there's a bunch of guys that can't even play. Um, it's just, they know how to manage their game, man. And, and they, they know the conditions and, and it's just a huge difference. So rookies are really behind the eight ball on a lot of these tracks. Did you ever have your surreal moment where you're playing with tiger or practicing next to Phil or, you know, watching Ernie Els just strike it on the range? Was there ever one of those moments where he's like, Holy cow, I am, I am really here, and this is so cool. Yeah, I, I played a uh, – I was playing pretty good at Riviera. Or, no, I guess the first time, I was playing good at Torrey, and I was in, like, I don't know, 14th or 15th, something like that, going into uh, Sunday. And then you get a little text on your phone who you play with, and I got paired with Bubba Watson and Dustin Johnson. I was just like – you know, that was a, uh, I had buddies out there I played practice rounds with, but that was my really, like, wow. You know, nobody in this whole gallery except, like, my wife and parents really care what I do on this hole. It's all, it's, it's all about those guys, but you know, awesome guys, fun to watch them just bomb it all over the place. And it was just, it was kind of a, it was kind of a dream pairing. Two of the longest guys in the history of the PGA tour that are also fantastic players getting to play with them on a Sunday uh, in a, in a golf tournament where I grew up was, was really cool. Isn't that awesome? I mean, the sense of it's gotta be the coolest thing ever. Cause I'm assuming you get like completely pumped up for it too, right? Like this is why you put the work in and the practice and all of it to get to these moments. Like it's gotta be also just like, you're ready for it. And it's gotta be, it's gotta be a cool experience to be kind of, you know, how are you going to stack up and what's it like to play in front of that many people? I think it'd just be the adrenaline rush of that. It would have to be awesome. I'd have to imagine not that I'll ever be there, but it's gotta be cool as hell. Oh yeah. It was so cool. Like I, uh, you know, I'm like just mental bet to myself. I'm not going to get out driven by like 50 yards. You know what I mean? So like, I just tried to kill it off the first tee and I was within like five or 10 yards of those guys all, not all day, but like most of the time, if I hit a good one, cause I was short. So I was like, right, right there. And I just remember specifically the, uh, the 15th hole there is kind of this tight hole with eucalyptus on the left and, it was an in left to right win. So for a righty and, you know, you're at sea level, obviously I hit like a spinny cut and Bubba was hitting these like slices down the middle of the fairway and was like, you know, 10 yards past me on every hole. Well, I hit this spinny cut that kind of looked like his slice and he hit a draw and it probably went 110 yards. past <laughs> I mean, That was like the first time where I was like, he just has another gear, man, if he wants it. Yeah, right. But like I said, it's uh, like I said, what a cool experience to get to do it. But like I said, also that you know you're not out there in a pro am. You've earned your way on the PGA Tour, so you've arrived as well, right? It's got to be it's got to be cool to watch those guys. Yet you know you're out there to compete and win and to play. So it's it's got to be a, what a dual scenario both of both sides, right? You don't want to just get stuck watching those guys because you have a job to do, and um, but it's still a big moment. So yeah, it's cool to ask these guys these or guys who play the tour these questions of you know, what was that first big moment sort of like and, and, and how did you play and how did you handle it? And usually they always got a pretty interesting story about an observation they made when they were playing with them. But it's a great story, man. It's so cool that uh, you got to compete at that level and do it. Um, favorite stop on the PGA Tour? When you were out there, was there one tournament that stood out to you for the quality of the golf and the town and the way the tournaments ran? Was there one that you really looked forward to? Yeah, I mean, I was based in Fort Worth, you know, so playing Colonial was obviously a really cool deal. I was a member there and 
played there in college and, and that was awesome. Um, my favorite, my favorite tournament, um, I kind of had three, I guess Riviera. I loved, I just thought that place was phenomenal. Um, I, I played the Memorial and then I played the players also. So like, those were, those are just, those are just legit tournaments. Every single week you're treated like a King, you know what I mean? So like some tournaments kind of go crazy above and beyond, but, um, you know, every, every week it's fantastic. But I mean, as far as West coast is concerned, I I'd say, I'd say Riviera East coast, the players unbelievable. And then, and then Jack's tourney was just, man, what a great track. So I'd say those three, and they're, they're just all great. That would kind of be the reasoning behind it. Did, did it. did you fall in love with Sawgrass right away, or did it take a little time for you to figure it out? I, I talked to a lot of guys, and they end up loving the golf course, but sometimes it's not a love-at-first-sight scenario with it. No, I, lo- I did. I thought it was awesome. I mean, I, didn't, I really didn't have any other than I think I shot like 69-75, and I think the cut was one under, whatever it was. I think I missed by like a shot, so that sucked in the biggest one of the year, but – um, I was able to get in that event from winning the web.com money list. And then they kind of give you an exemption into that. And, and I, I just thought it was great. I didn't have any, anything negative to say. However, I didn't make like a 10 on 17 or anything. So I could see how guys could start thinking that, you know, certain conditions were unfair or one hole kind of dictates the whole round and all that. But man, it was just what a, what a great tournament. Really cool. You kind of alluded to this earlier too, is when the injuries started happening and, at what point did you notice, hey, there's something wrong, and then did it start producing some bad habits that were starting to affect your game because you were injured and couldn't swing the club the right way? And then how tough of a decision is it to know that your body is that battered where you say, I, 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 I've had enough. I, I don't think I can compete like I used to be able to, and I have to call it a day. That's got to be a, a very difficult decision. Yeah, I mean, you know, a, a lot of that is you got to be realistic with yourself and, and you got to say, hey, you know, look at look at results, look at whatever it is, you know, your swing, ball speed, club head speed, all these other things. And then, you know, can you consistently travel around the world and, and your, can your body be ready to compete like that? Because, I mean, you know, nothing against the web.com tour. I, you know, I love. I love that tour and I played really well out there. And, and, you know, you get to a certain point in your life with kids and you're like, do I want to travel around the world and spend all this time away when I know that I I'm not competing like at my highest level. Right. So there's a realistic component to it. And who knows, like whatever, man, senior tour 2037 or whatever, I'll be ready to roll. But, um, it's just, it just, it's just a point where you have to, uh, where, where, where you have to just say, Hey, you know, there's, uh, there's so many young guys or so many young players they are coming up. Can't do, I think I can, I can not only compete and get it done, but, but try to win tournaments. I mean, if you, if you're playing an event and you don't think that you can win the tournament, like what, what's the point seriously. So that's kind of the way that I looked at it for, for a while. And, uh, who knows? I mean, hopefully I can compete again, whether it's whatever it is, kind of switch my PGA status to director of golf and, but it'll be fun to play some of those tournaments and just see where my game stacks up. Yeah. Like Omar Uristi, right? Like he's, he still gets to go out there and compete at the at the club pro level and, and, and do quite well with it and play a few champions tour events. So, yeah, I mean, there's, like I said, there's more than one way to still get that itch for the competition and some guys who play the tour like you have found a way to do that sort of in the club pro championships and stuff like that too. So, yeah, that'd be, yeah. Uh, you know, you can still get the itch and play against some pretty good competition. Just got a couple more and I'll get you out of here. These are kind of just quick hitters. Um, from back in your playing days, if you could take, say, two or three guys on a, guys golf trip say you're going out to vegas for example and you're going to gamble a little bit have dinner afterwards 
just have a great time with the boys for 48 hours. Who are the uh, two or three guys you'd want to bring with, and what do you admire most about those guys? Yeah, so as far as guys that I, on tour, or yeah, the guys buddies, that I've played with Yeah, before. buddies you play with on tour that you respect and like and just are a blast to hang out with. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Richard Lee, I became really good friends with him. He lives out in Scottsdale. Our wives are really good friends, so I try to see him a couple times a year. And, you know, we enjoy hanging out. And I, uh, Martin Flores, I've, I've kind of always kept in touch with ever since high school days with District, right? So that was, that was fun, um, just kind of hanging out with him. And then, you know, my fellow Frogs, you know, J.J. Henry, obviously, and then, and then you know, Tom Hoagie that, that play on tour right now. Was, we always had a good time hanging out. You, you form a little family out there, and it's just – it's chill. But there's, there's a million guys. I mean, I, have, I really didn't have any negative experiences out there um, as far as a lot of the, the guys I've met. You know, the bigger guys, they have to travel in these entourage and teams and things like that just because of what's commanded out of them, right, with media and all these other things. And it's, so you kind of – you're kind of segmented to these different groups of, you know, guys you hang out with at dinner or whatever. And, and you guys just, they just become really good friends. So um, I think those, those four guys would have, we'd have a fun trip. Best two or three golf courses you've ever played in your life and not necessarily tour courses. It could be, you know, if you ever had an opportunity to play Augusta or Pine Valley or any of the greats of the world, what's, what's your two or three favorite and what do you love about them most architecturally? Yeah, so I uh, I did an awesome little golf trip last uh, September. I played um, I played Maidstone, Friars Head, um, Fisher's Island up in New York. Yeah. And it was phenomenal. But like my best, my favorites that they could just never host an event just because of logistics. Like Friars Head, phenomenal, and Chris O'Connell's up there in the summertime and teaches, and it's really cool. Um, Maidstone was great. Friars Head was just man, what a what a what a spot. Fisher's Island is just the mystique because no one really gets to play there that often. So taking the little ferry over there and playing a, you know, old Seth Rainer course, it's always ranked like 11 in the world. Yeah. And just, you know, they have a Redan, a Eden, Punch Bowl, um, all the beer Ritz, however you say that other one. It's just, it's so cool. Um, but I would say, I'd say my favorites I've ever played, I play uh, Cypress, um, Oakmont, uh, Marion, and Friar's Head. I think those are probably my four those are those are those are probably it right there. I love those ones. Oakmont brutally difficult when you play it. Yeah, Oakmont is Oakmont is not easy, um, but it's it's fair. Like you, you know what to expect, but I and and I've never played it in anything other than tournament conditions. But um, you know, I hear for the members, it's set up like that like all year long, which is it's cool. Best golf shot you ever hit under tournament pressure, and then part two of it the best golf shot you ever saw a competitor that you were with hit when you were on tour? Yeah. So I think the first thing I hit kind of, I, I guess under pressure, I, uh, I, um, I had a, I had a nice lead, but I had never won on the web.com and, the, and we played a course in, in Utah, Willow Creek and the last hole they converted into this part. It was a kind of a weird part four and they converted into like a 215 yard part three over a lake. And, you know, I had a nice lead, but, you can make anything that goes over a lake. If you're nervous, you don't even know what's going to happen. And I hit a six iron that flied like one inch from the cup. It ended up going like 15 feet past, but that was just a cool feeling knowing you can hit a shot like that when you had to, um, as far as comp, as far as competitor wise, competition wise, God, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think I've seen, I played in Q school where a lot of guys have like made a birdie putt to make it on the number. And, and, uh, 
I just I can't think specifically there. I've seen so many good shots other guys have hit, but um, that's 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 pretty cool watching uh, watching that. And then like as a kid, just watching on TV, obviously anything Tiger did for like that ten year stretch, everything was just a joke. All those putts that he made. Um, but that, that, that's what I would say probably. Yeah, it's interesting the Tiger thing. It's uh, you know I had about sixty guests on, and majority of them are I was playing with Tiger and he hit this golf shot that I, I just didn't see it. Like, you know, and especially back in his heyday when, before the injuries, it's, you know, some of the shots, even for fellow PGA tour players that they saw him hit, they just didn't see that to their eye yet. You know, he could pull it off. So yeah, he, uh, he usually popped up every now and then when I would ask that question. So it's, uh, he definitely had a, a few back in his day, that's for sure. Hey, thanks. I uh, really appreciate the time and uh, really enjoyed the conversation. So uh, best of luck on the business ventures, and uh, hopefully we'll see you, you know, competing you know, in a few more years as you get uh, another 10 years closer to the Champions Tour, see if that fire gets going a little bit and see if we can see you out there again. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a, I had a great time, and uh, hope to see you down the road.